Thank you for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. To discover more about Four Mile Creek or what it means to follow Jesus, you can visit us online at www.fourmilecreek.org. Here is this week's message. Today we begin a series on the book of Acts. And I want to introduce you to an acronym. I want to tell you a story. I have a friend who's a retired army colonel. And he was the guy the generals would go to and say, we are setting up a base camp here. You have X days to figure out how we're going to feed uh, 10,000 soldiers, how we're going to house them, how we're going to get them showers and get supplies and munitions here and so forth and so on. And Colonel Weaver was really good at what he did. And he was a member of a church I had served at, and he introduced us to a series of acronyms, one of which is WIT, W-I-T. In fact, I'll hope that it becomes part of our vernacular, but WIT is an acronym that stands for whatever it takes. And so at East Haven, you would often hear people come up to you and say, hey, that, that was really good WIT. Hey, we, we, we saw the WIT that you just played there. It was an acronym that you had a whatever it takes attitude. And it became a part, of, a part of our culture. It became a part of what we did. I coordinated a student event one time. We had about 150 people there. Less than 36 hours before that event started, the church that had uh, committed to taking care of Saturday night's dinner backed out on me. And they called me and they said, we're not going to be able to provide dinner and we don't know what to do. And I said, okay, well... And I thought to myself, whatever it takes, we're going to take care of it. And I said, all right, well, we got it. So uh, I and my ministry team, we got together and we figured out dinner for 150 people. And uh, we may have had to start that preparation at 2 o'clock that afternoon for a 6.30 dinner, but, but we had a whatever it takes attitude. And as you read the book of Acts, what you discover is that the early church had a whatever-it-takes attitude. In fact, the overarching theme of the book of Acts is that the gospel overcomes all barriers. As you read through the book of Acts, and I encourage you to do that in the coming weeks, as you read through it, what you're going to discover is that time after time after time, uh, the Christians of the first century, the church of the first century, uh, missionary efforts always were hitting a brick wall. But yet those who were alive, those who were seeking to get the message out there, were willing to do whatever it took to continue the mission. And as I've been praying about this for our church, one of the things God has laid on my heart is, is we have to have that whatever it takes attitude. Amen. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes to reach the community around us. Friends, can I tell you something? A few weeks ago, I came down here for the alternative, and I had a meeting with the staff the next day. And I was able to drive through this area in the daylight, really observe uh, the people around. They may not have the same life stories we do. They may not look like us, talk like us, think like us. But can I tell you something? They need Jesus just as much as you and I need Jesus. And if we want to be a church on mission, which by the way, is the command of the Lord Jesus. This is not your pastor. This is the Lord Jesus being the command for the church. 
is to go and tell people about the gospel. And as we do that, we're going to have people that have different stories than we do. We're going to have people who come from different walks of life, who look different than us, who talk different than us, who are going to come in and they're going to become a part of this fellowship. But do you have a whatever-it-takes attitude to do that? A lot of people say they do, and the only attitude for whatever it takes they have is telling a few key people in the church what needs to be done, should be done, and ought to be done, and they're not willing to do anything about it. Now, I know here at Fort Mile Creek, we don't have anybody like that. And I'm only here, that's my second Sunday, so we may have, but to my knowledge, I don't know of anybody who only wants to say what needs to be done but not being willing to do it. So this is the thing. These next few weeks, how long are we going to be in the book of Acts, Craig? I have no idea. You will know when I know. Okay? I don't know yet. We may go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, story by story. I don't know yet. We're going to let God uh, figure that out. But until then, we're just going to faithfully walk through the book of Acts as we see what it means to have a wit attitude as a church and do whatever it takes to be a church on mission. Now, because we're doing that, we have a little bit of background work we need to do. If we're going to do a book study, we have a little bit of background work to do about the book of Acts. So what do we know about the book of Acts? Well, it's a continuation of Luke's gospel. So it's, uh, it's a follow-up, if you will. Luke wrote it, and he wrote both the gospel and the book of Acts to a fellow named Theophilus. Now, what we know about Theophilus is we have pretty good reason to believe that he was a cousin of the emperor Domitian. And Theophilus was a Roman government official, a cousin of the emperor. Luke writes it to him, and we're going to see uh, in just a few moments uh, the reason he wrote Luke's gospel and, and why he wrote the continuation of the book of Acts. But he writes to Theophilus, and he says, essentially, I've written this because I want you to have an orderly account about everything that you have been taught and instructed, about all the events that have transpired among us. I need you to know that this is indeed reality. This is indeed reality. Maybe as you've been sharing the gospel with people, maybe somebody says, well, you know, I just don't believe that's the case. There's no way that happened. But the wonderful thing about Christianity is it's not a hoax. I mean, there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes to, to demonstrate that. He writes to present a, a story, essentially, a narrative of the first century church. Now, this is so important. As we read the book of Acts, there are two words to keep in mind. Descriptive and prescriptive. This is what I mean. When we say that the book of Acts is descriptive, it is describing what happened in the first century church. So it is not, necessar not necessarily uh, binding, if you will, and I use that term binding loosely there. It is not necessarily binding for us. We're going to see in a few weeks that Sophia and Ananias lie to the church and God strikes them dead. How many of you have lied in the sanctuary before or to a brother or sister in the faith and God has not struck you dead? It is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It's not saying that this must be what happens. In the book of Acts, we find that a lot of people speak in tongues. How many of you have ever spoken in tongues? I've not does not mean that we are any less Christian than they are. It is 
descriptive. So he writes to present a story of what happens in the first century church. He also writes uh, to tell us about the gospel of the Spirit. Now, unfortunately, as Southern Baptists, we often neglect God and the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, you just can't get away from the reality of God the Holy Spirit. An old preacher friend of mine who's with the Lord now, Joe Blackwell, sat in my office one day and he said, Craig, for the first 14 years of my ministry, I gave hardly any attention to God the Holy Spirit. He says, and one day as I was praying, God made it abundantly clear that I had been neglecting the third person of the Trinity. And I'd been doing ministry in my own strength and my own power. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, don't ever neglect God the Holy Spirit. Listen to me for a while. It's not programs. It's not administrative systems. It's not whether or not the pastor is able to preach a certain way or look a certain way or sound a certain way. It's none of those things that leads a church to a place of health and to a place of uh, uh, gospel mission. It is God the Holy Spirit and God the Holy Spirit alone. If you are looking for me to grow this church, you called the wrong guy. I'm not going to take responsibility that is not mine. It is not my responsibility to grow the church. It is not the staff's responsibility. It is God's responsibility. Our responsibility is to equip you for the work of ministry. He writes to us the gospel of the Spirit. He writes to uh, present an apology, a defense of the faith. To the Jews, he shows that there is a close connect between Judaism and Christianity. That Christianity is, it's a bad way of saying it maybe, but, but Christianity is the fulfillment. It's the next step of Judaism. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You read at the end of Luke, you read about the Emmaus disciples, and he begins to, to tell them about how all the scriptures pertained to him. It's also to present theology. Let me tell you something. Theology is always practical if you do it right. It's always practical. If your theology is not practical, it's not a theology worth having. The major theme of the book of Acts is that the gospel overcomes all barriers. There are other sub-themes in there, such as uh, the providence of God, the triumph of the gospel, the power of the spirit, the world mission, and others. That just kind of paints a picture for you for the book of Acts. And we're going to see these things as we go through. But, but today, I, I want to encourage you to kit up. K-I-T, kit up. We've received orders... We know what we're to be about. Now it is time to get our stuff together and get ready to answer the call. Are you ready to answer the call? Are you ready to be a unified church on mission? To do whatever it takes to reach people for the sake of the gospel? It's going to require more than listening to the preacher preach and listening uh, to your Sunday school teacher teach. It's going to require that we get up off the pew and we go and we reach those who are in our sphere of influence. So why can we be a church on mission? That, that's the big question. We've got orders. We know what we're to be about. But we're all operating independently of the other, and we're not to do that. We are to be unified, one mission. Paul says in Ephesians, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is what we rally around, and as we rally around this, we end up reaching others for the gospel. So why can we be a church on mission? 
Oh boy, I'm glad you asked. If you look at Acts chapter 1, the first three verses, listen to the word of the Lord. This is Luke writing to Theophilus. He says, I wrote, I wrote the first narrative of Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We are to be a church on mission because we have a legitimate message. We have a legitimate message. Christianity is not a mass delusion. It is not a hoax. It is not a fairy tale. It is a legitimate message. If you have a legitimate message, it is therefore worth telling. There are a lot of people with messages that are everything but legitimate and they feel compelled to tell everybody and anybody about their message. But we're to be a church on mission because we have a legitimate message. Listen again to what Luke says, beginning in verse 3. After he, that is Jesus, had suffered, they saw him die. They saw him beaten. They saw him gasp for his last breath. They heard him cry out, it is finished. And they saw him buried. After he suffered, he also presented himself alive to them. This was not in a dream. This was not them tripped out on some psychedelic drug or consumed with drunkenness by alcohol, as you read later in the book of Acts. Uh, and they began speaking in tongues. They are accused of being drunk at nine in the morning. It's not a mass delusion. Jesus appeared. He gave many convincing proof. He cooked them breakfast. Can you imagine having food prepared by Jesus? At one point, he tells his disciples, put, put your finger in that wound. Unless I am responsible for you, I don't want to see your blood. If you skin your knee, I'm sorry, I don't care. I don't want to see your blood unless I'm responsible for you, then I'll doctor you up. But if I'm not, if I'm not responsible for you, I don't want to see that. It makes me sick to my stomach. So I'm not in the medical field. Jesus presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. There was no question in their mind that this was the Lord Jesus. It's a legitimate message. It's a legitimate message. Luke writes, and he does so carefully. He investigated this matter. I grew up North Shore uh, in Washington Parish, Louisiana. We, we got New Orleans TV, and I grew up watching WBL Channel 4, Eyewitness News with uh, Eric Paulson and Sally Ann Roberts. That is the standard in my book for local news. Eyewitness News, we go to the people who have seen it with their own eyes. That, that was their thing. Luke went to the people who saw these events transpire. He heard their stories. He wrote them down. He had multiple witnesses. Everything will be established in the presence of two or more witnesses. That's what Luke went and did. He went and he investigated. That's what he says in the book of Luke. He says, many have undertaken, this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 4 verses, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us 
just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, and listen to what he says, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty. Read that. So that you may know the certainty. That's, that's, what, that's audience participation. One, two, three. So that you may know the certainty of the things that have transpired among us. Sometimes I find myself speaking about current events and I will get halfway through my statement and find out that I have no idea what I'm talking about. Because there are four different news articles that all contradict each other. Luke writes, and he says, I've written this so that you may know with certainty the things that have transpired. This is not a hoax. It is a legitimate message. You keep saying that, Brother Craig. I know I do, because the society that we live in claims to be ruled by reasons and facts. Luke's society claimed to be ruled by reasons and facts. You need to know I need to know. We need to believe it. We need to embrace it. That this message is indeed legitimate. It has bearing on our life. It has bearing on everything. It has bearing on how we interact with our employers, with our employees, with our spouses and our kids and, and with our community and with our church. It has bearing on that. It has bearing on how I as pastor make decisions. This week, I shared with the staff and staff meeting. I was laying in my bed uh, Tuesday night, and I was thinking about everything that I needed to do this week, and, and I said, Lord, I just, I don't know where to start. And next thing out of my mouth, God and the Holy Spirit reminded me, trust the Lord your God with all your heart, and lead not onto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. It has bearing. Leadership decisions, it has bearing. Stewardship teams meeting tomorrow night. One of the things we're going to pray before we get started is that the Lord would give that team and me as the pastor wisdom, knowledge, and understanding as we seek to set the budget and administer the budget over the next year. It has bearing because it's a legitimate message. Messages that aren't legitimate don't have bearing on our life. Unless you have bought into a lie, it does not have bearing. This has bearing because it's true. Paul even writes, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. I got so excited. Luke had investigated and found out witnesses who wrote an orderly account, and then he picks up again, and he says, I just want to reiterate to you, because he leaves off with the ascension at the end of Luke, and he picks up again, and he says, hey, people saw him suffer. They saw him resurrected. They knew it was him that was resurrected. You can go and ask these people. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, this is his account of the gospel. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas. He starts getting specific. He says to these people, you can go ask them. 
I'm not making up a story. You can go ask these people. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, many of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Paul says you can go ask people. Brother Craig, I have never with my eyes seen the risen Lord. Okay. If you're saved, you have seen the work of the risen Lord through the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. You and I both know the reality of the work of Holy God. Just because people deny the truth does not make it any less true. I was in student ministry for six years. And uh, the thing that I thought time and time again with my students was uh, relative truth. What's true for you may not be true for me and vice versa. My simplest answer to that is gravity. If I go to that big old overpass going into Pascagoula, and I believe with everything in me that gravity is not a thing, and if I jump off that bridge, I'm going to fly. And I'm not going to go down with the water. Then I jump off that bridge. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down. I don't care. It does not matter what I believe with all my heart. Believing a lie, rejecting the truth, does not make the truth any less true. Amen. It has bearing. Yeah. People saw Jesus. People saw him after he was resurrected. We can trust that this is a legitimate message. I have seen him work in my own life with answered prayers this week. He is alive. He is well. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God because his work is finished. It is completed. And by the way, he's coming again. It's a legitimate message. Endeavor to bring as many people with you as you can. Amen. Not everybody's going to come that you share Jesus with. But by golly. Make sure they know who Jesus is. It's a legitimate message. That's why we are to be a church on mission. It's a legitimate message, but it's also this. We have a divine power. We're to be a church on mission because we have a divine power. We don't do this work on our own for Mile Creek. And if you've been doing it on your own, stop it. I don't want that in this church. The deacons don't want it in this church. The staff don't want it in this church. And if they want it in this church, they don't want it anymore because that's not what God wants. Stop doing it in your own power. It might mean that you have to do it a little differently. But when you trust the Lord, and you say, I'm going to trust you to do this, and I'm on, I, if I go left, it's going to be because you told me to go left. If I go right, it's going to be because you told me to go right. And by the way, that's what Jesus says in verses 4 through 8. Listen to what the Bible says. While he was still with them, Acts chapter 1 verse 4, while he was still with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? 
And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What is the Father's promise? Jesus talks about this. He says, hey, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Father's promise. The Father's promise is God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. That's what Jesus is reminding us of here. We have a divine power to accomplish all that he's called us to do. The Holy Spirit is promised in John chapter 15, verse 26. It says, when the counselor comes, this is Jesus, the one I will send to you from the Father. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit's job is to speak about Jesus. We may speak about Jesus with our mouth to somebody who doesn't know him. And it is God, the Holy Spirit, who takes that message and makes it real to that individual. He testifies to the truth. In John chapter 16, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth, and this is one of my favorite passages. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is the, this is the job of God the Holy Spirit. Not only does he testify to the truth of who Jesus is, he also does this. He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Tells them who Jesus is and tells them how they can have abundant life in the risen Lord. And friends, it is that divine power that dwells in you. And dwells in me. Don't neglect God and the Holy Spirit. Don't neglect them. We are, we are notorious for that as Baptists. We're notorious for telling God what we're going to do and then telling Him to bless it. We got that backwards. We let God the Holy Spirit tell us the way to go, and that is the way to go. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you, and I will give you counsel with my eye upon you. I will tell you the way to go. It's God's power that is dwelling in us through the presence of God the Holy Spirit that enables us to fulfill the mission and ministry that Jesus has tasked us with. It's not your organization. It's not your skills or abilities. It's not the programs of this church. It's not the money you give, though those things are important. It is about the ministry and the power of God the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you look at verse 8, Jesus says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what is that power meant to enable you and empower you to do? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Greek word that we get witnesses for, for, uh, from is martyria. Does that sound familiar? Martyr. 
and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my martyrs is what Jesus is saying. You will die for the kingdom. And indeed, of the 12 apostles and Paul, uh, only one of them died a relatively peaceful death, and that was John in exile. I talked last week about surrender from Romans 12, 1 through 2. And I said in there, and this just reiterates that, that we don't surrender to God on our own power. God enables us to do that. He empowers us to do that. And that's why we're able to surrender. You want to be a church on mission? Well, we're to be one because we have a divine power. Jesus has equipped us through the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit. But here's the other thing. We have a holy assignment. We have a holy assignment. Listen to verses 9 through 11. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come again in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. The assignment of the church is not to build your individual kingdom. It is not to build your resume or your standing or anything else. And if you've been using the church to build your standing, you're in sin. I know people of people. I don't know them personally, but we had a few of these people that I was never able to meet. Who believed that God was calling them to join our fellowship, but they found more social and job benefits by joining a different congregation. And that's why they went to a different They were trying to build their standing. If you're a ministry leader, or you help in a ministry, and you're trying to build your own resume and your little own kingdom, that kingdom's going to perish. Unless you're building the kingdom of God, it will not last. It will not stand the test of time. Build the kingdom of God. You have a holy assignment. These men have received the orders. They're told, go and tell people about the gospel. Baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you and love I'm with you always to the end of the age. They've been given the assignment. And they're gazing up into heaven like, oh my goodness. You see this? I saw that too. What are we supposed to do? Do you see that? And these two angels. What are you Muppets doing? It doesn't say Muppets, of course. But what are you guys doing? Yes, he's went up into heaven, but you've got work to do. You just saw him go up in glory. He's going to come back in glory. Go tell people about him. We have a holy assignment. That's why we're to be a church on mission. 
We have a legitimate message, a divine power, and a holy assignment. It is a sacred assignment. It's an assignment that if we give our life to, it will be a life well spent. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand up? Why do you stand looking up to heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you will return just as you've seen him going. Every one of you in here just about can tell me how God has worked in your life. And I'm so happy to hear that. But for the lack of a better phrase, don't be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. Jesus has done such a work in your life that you will cry at the drop of a hat but you won't tell your neighbor? What? One of my neighbors in Brookhaven, who I love dearly, and I love his wife dearly, and uh, he knows I'm a preacher, and, and one day I'm in my shop and I'm working, and he comes to me and he's in tears. And his daughter was pregnant with twins. And she had went into labor well before she should have. And one of the twins was miscarried. And he comes to me, this guy, this guy, he's tough. He's a tough guy. Tougher than I am. He comes to me and he's crying. He says, hey, Craig, Scared me half to death. I thought I was by myself. <laughs> says, hey, Craig, I, I need you to pray. This man's in tears. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what has happened? And he tells me what's happened. And he says, I, I, I just need somebody to pray for me. A few months later, he had open heart surgery. He looked at me, he said, oh, I hope I can make it out of it. He said, I don't know, but I hope I can make it out of it. And so I went and I sat down on his couch. And I talked with him about Jesus. And I prayed with him. I would have never had that conversation had he not known through just faithful interaction with him that I loved Jesus and I loved him. It's a holy assignment and yes, we look to heaven and we set our minds on the things above and not the things below. And as we set our minds on the things above, we should look back down and we should be heartbroken by the sin and the dysfunction and all the likes. And it should motivate us to tell people about the one who is the answer to all of that. After this, the church becomes united in prayer no longer are they just sitting there, wow. They're going to God and they're saying, we need your help in order to do this. We know what you've said. We know that you're with us. But Lord Jesus, we need you. If we're going to be a church on mission, that 
has to be our prayer. Jesus, we need you to do a work in this congregation to put our minds on you, our hearts on you, so that when we look around and we see the brokenness of our community, we are compelled because we know what you're able to do to go and tell others. Am I making sense? Because I, I, I don't know if I am looking at your face, faces and, and it, it, it's kind of confusing to me. Do we have a whatever it takes attitude? That means we're going to have to die to self. That may mean, and listen, I'm still in assessment mode. I don't know yet. There, that may mean there's ministries we're currently doing that have to go. There may be, that may mean there are ministries we're not doing we need to implement. That may mean that, that the way we utilize our space has to change. I don't know. Let me ask you. Are you willing to leave it all out on the court for the sake of the kingdom? Are you willing to bleed so that your neighbors and your community might know Jesus? When Winston Churchill became prime minister, he, he gave this speech, which if you listen to the audio, is nowhere near as dramatic as Hollywood has made it. But he says, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. He told the British people, I won't give it my all. I didn't come here to give half or 25% or just a little bit. If I'm here, I'm here. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to leave it all on the court. And what God's inviting us to do is to surrender to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to give you my all. I'm going to leave it all on the court. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see the rule and reign of God happen in the hearts and minds of people. And God, I want to see you do a work that only you can do. Petey prayed this morning at staff meeting. God, take Petey out the way. Take Brother Craig out the way. Take us all out the way. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do the hard work for the sake of the kingdom? And the power that God provides and the strength that God provides and the wisdom that God provides and the understanding and knowledge He provides? Is that something you're willing to do? Because that's where it starts. I played basketball when I was a kid. I wasn't very good, but boy, I was the tallest one on the court. <laughs> so I had to block a shot. And... Um, one season, I had pneumonia. And uh, all I could do in practice was walk around the court. And it was about the last two weeks of the season that I was cleared to be able to play. And so I did. And uh, boy, I was out of practice. And uh, my head in the very last game of the season was a magnet for that basketball. I mean, every time I turn around, I got hit in the head so many times, it was ridiculous. And I just, I had a mental breakdown on that court. I mean, I did. I started crying. I had to leave the court. I mean, it was a mess. 
and it didn't help that my team had not done a very good job that season or anything like that. And, you know, we all wanted to at least one, and we didn't win one game that season, I think. And, uh, you know, that, now I could do something about it. And I was, I, was, I was on the court, right? I was able to block shots, make shots, push the ball down the court. I was able to do all of those things, and I just couldn't do it. And I left that court and I went and I found a closet and I was crying and my mama came and she tried to give me a pep talk and something happened in my brain. And I said, no, I'm not done. I'm not going to let this team beat us without a fight. I know we still weren't very good even after that, but I went back out on the court and for the last two minutes of that game, I gave it my everything. The church that we read about in the book of Acts gave it their everything. They gave their blood, their money, their time, their energy, their sweat, their tears, their prayers. They gave their God is calling us, I am convinced, to give it all to Him for His glory and our good and for the good of those around us. We're going to look in the next few weeks and months about what this means in the nuts and bolts of the life of this church. But He enables and He empowers us to do it. What are you going to do? Are you going to have a whatever it takes attitude? Or are you just going to come in here and sit on a pew on a Sunday morning? Brother Craig, I can't serve like I used to serve. Pray. Pray, please. <laughs> pray. All you can do is pray and, and, and give to the ongoing work of this ministry, of this church. Do it. And do it faithfully. If you can do those things and serve, do those things and serve. Do what God has called you to do and leave it all out on the court. Until we get that attitude in here and in here, no matter what we say we're going to do, we've got to have the mindset If you don't know Jesus, you need to know him so you can have the mindset. And the Bible says that because of your sin, it sends anything we think, say, or do that displeases God and breaks his rules, that you're separated from him, destined for an eternity in hell. But God in his mercy has made a way for you to be made right with him, and that is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you confess him as Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you'll be saved.